You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Ron Polk is known as the father of Southeastern Conference baseball. In 31 season as an SEC coach, he compiled a 1218-638-2 record, good for a 656 winning percentage. Currently stands ninth all-time in wins among Division I baseball coaches. He will be the first to tell you that having great players is the key to being a great coach. He had 185 players who signed professional baseball contracts and 30, excuse me, 23 of those played in the major leagues. He coached 35 All-Americans and 76 All-Southeastern Conference players. During his tenure at Mississippi State, Polk had eight players drafted in the first round. I got to know him when I wrote a book on the 100 years of Mississippi State athletics back in 1996. And I'll share our story about that in just a few minutes. Coach, welcome to Sports Connections. Okay, good talking to you. Okay, let's start with the baseball career. You reached the College World Series eight times, one of three coaches to lead three different teams to Omaha. Do any of those any of those teams or trips stand out to you? I mean, well, 1985, we uh, had Will Clark and Raphael Palmero, Jeff Brantley, and Bobby Thigpen, all four had premier careers in professional baseball also. And we uh, we won the first two games and were ahead of Texas in the third, four to nothing when our starting pitcher took a line drive off his ankle. And that kind of disrupted things. That was uh, the closest we came. So uh, basically Mississippi State itself has been out there 11 times, but we finally pulled it off this past uh uh, season and uh, won the College World Series, and of course we're real proud of our boys and our coaches. And uh, it's a it's a big event at Mississippi State, as you can imagine, because baseball is very important. We have a beautiful seventy million dollar new stadium that's sold out, and, and uh, so baseball is a very very uh, big cultural event here at Starkville, Mississippi. And uh, we're proud of the the fact that we finally have won the national championship because after eleven tries, it's about time. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll get to we'll get to uh, this year, uh, the, you know, most recent season here in a second. Was the '85 team your best uh, your best team? I get asked that question a lot. I probably had better ball clubs. Those four guys that on the, I mentioned on the '85 team were standouts yeah. in pro ball, but I probably had some other teams that probably the whole component of the team might've been a little better. And either we lost in regionals in the last game, I think there's six or seven times that we've lost in the, in the last game in regionals that precluded us from going to Omaha. So we, we got to Omaha a lot, but we also could have got there a lot more times if we could have just won that final ball game. But uh, no, but that 85 team was a special team and, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a big event, uh, when anytime those four guys come back to campus, cause, uh, I think oh, they, sure. they basically relate what Mississippi state's all about. Uh, we've had so many guys who've gone and had great careers in professional baseball. I think right now, I think we have eight or nine boys in, in the big leagues right now from a, from Mississippi state university. So it's a, it's a special place to, to coach, and I'm now special assistant of the athletic director here and uh, enjoy my role working with our 12 sports and and uh, keeps me busy, and I'm on the road a lot speaking for the university, and I, I do a lot of high school and college banquets, so I still stay busy, even though I'm not an active coach, even though I coach in the summertime up in the Cape Cod League every summer where all the best college players gravitate to every summer. Yeah. Um and I know it's like asking a parent, which is your favorite kid, but do you have favorite players 
I'm not talking about their baseball <laughs> side, but just you have players who say, man, I wish I had another two years coaching them. Well, yeah, you always have guys you, you kind of like a little bit more because they're really good or they're really quality kids that do a good job as student-athletes. But I get asked that a lot, who's my favorite player, and I don't think I want to go on record saying <laughs> any one player is my favorite player. But I've had a ton of them. I mean, like a Buck Showalter who's managed in four different uh, organizations at the yeah. big league level, hit 479 for us in 1977. I mean, we're proud of the career that Buck has uh, displayed for himself and his family in professional baseball. But I got so many guys that have done so well uh, once they left here, as all college coaches will tell you, they're proud of the, the lawyers, the doctors, the dentists, the, the people who have used their, their time at uh, their respective schools to develop themselves as uh, students and went on and become very successful in their daily lives. So, uh, you know, with 50, actually 55 years of coaching college baseball players, and wow. I got a slew, slew of them out there, and I'm proud of them all. It's, it's interesting. Ba- baseball, you know, you talk about that 85 team and those four guys, Will Clark, Rafael Palmero, Bobby Thigpen, and Jeff Brantley, two pitchers, two position players, obviously. They were four entirely different personalities, even different style of play. And it, it, it basically shows that it takes all kinds of players uh, to make a winning team, doesn't it? Well, Bobby Thigpen be a great example. <clears throat> we just put him into the Ron Polk Ring of Honor, which is a really a big thing here at Mississippi State, but Bobby was a right fielder. I got him from a junior college, Seminole Junior College, as a cool. outfielder, and his arm just uh, got stronger and stronger from the outfield, so we decided to pitch him as our closer uh, when he was a senior, and, and and he then signed a professional baseball contract, and at one time was the save, save leader record in the American League when he was with the Chicago White Sox. So, Basically, every one of those four guys uh, played a significant role in the success of a lot of a lot of great teams in '83, '84, '85. But yeah, to to build a ball club around those four type of guys is really special. But again, uh, we've had other teams probably one through nine the lineup more pitching depth than we had in '85. But uh, the '85 team, if anybody asked what was the favorite team at Mississippi State, they'd probably think the '85. But now. They think it's the 2021 team that won the College World Series, and I think that's yeah. right too. Yeah, it's. I remember when I was doing the book, it was it was uh, about 10 years after that 85 team was done, and and uh, I tried to. And the book was on the entire history of Mississippi State athletics, so I tried to interview people from from different sports, and uh, either you or Sports Information gave me the phone number for for Will Clark, and of course. As many people listening to this will remember, Will Will's name nickname was Will the Thrill, and I remember calling his house, and um, the answering machine says the thrill is gone, so please leave a message. <laughs> so they had some they had yeah. some pretty interesting personalities as well, didn't they? Yeah, Will is now with the San Francisco Giants. He kind of travels around their minor league. Uh, teams uh, giving instruction, and uh, he's uh, uh, yeah, he's a special part of Mississippi State. He's been a great alumnus. In fact, all four of those boys in the '85 team, actually not boys anymore, the young men, yeah. actually old men right now, but <laughs> they have given back in so many ways, uh, financially, and also they they come back on a very very re- uh, routine uh, visits always to Mississippi State. So they're they're bulldogs through and through, but. Uh, 
we got a loyal following of alumni. It's probably nothing like it. Uh, anytime we have alumni weekends, there's generally 175 to 200 uh, guys return back for wow. a dinner and golf tournament. And uh, we even used to have baseball games when they played on the field and put them in uniform and let them rehash uh, what it's like to, to play at Mississippi State University. So we're proud of our alumni. Yeah. Now you retired the first time from Mississippi State in 1997, and then two uh, Two or three years later, you took the job at Georgia for two seasons. First of all, why did you get back into coaching? Well, when I went to Georgia, I was just there two years. We went to the College World Series, and then they asked me to come back to Mississippi State when Pat McMahon, uh, my hair parent here, decided to go to University of Florida, which was a good move for him and his family. So I returned. But uh, in between, I've done seven tours with the national team. So I've been involved with USA National Baseball, two Olympics, twice the head coach on the USA team. So in between all those times, in and out of coaching at Mississippi State and Georgia, I was very actively involved in USA Baseball. But uh, I've been uh, the main reasons I retired two times was basically my my fight with the NCAA on behalf of college baseball because I'm, I was kind of the ringleader and trying to get things moving with scholarships and other things because we ended up having seven sanctions and rules on college baseball that no other sport had to deal with. So I, I kind of actively got involved in that and just got very tired of not only coaching a, a premier baseball program, but having a, on the side to fight the NCAA took its toll on me. And so that's why I retired the first time and uh, then became a special assistant here at Mississippi State. Then Georgia Vince Dooley asked me to come over and help them with years. And then Mississippi State asked me to come back, so I won another seven, and I still got upset with the NCAA and fighting them tooth and nail, and I decided to retire. And Then I went to University of Alabama, Birmingham for 12 years, uh, coaching with one of my former coaches here, uh, Brian Shoup, and enjoyed that. And then uh, he retired, so I headed back to Mississippi State. They've been after me to come back in administrative roles. So a year and a half ago, I became the special assistant to the athletic director and still get to do my coaching gig by coaching each summer. Yeah. Um, what was it like? And this is kind of a almost rhetorical because I know what the answer is, but I still want to ask you, what was it like to watch Mississippi State finally win it all this year in the College World Series? Well, I was at the Cape Cod League and uh, coaching up in Warham, Mass, and uh, wasn't planning on going to Omaha until uh, we ended up winning some ball games, and then after we beat Texas to, to force us, uh, the up, well, not force us, but then we became – the, the, into the one in the finals with Vanderbilt, so they flew me out from uh, Providence, Rhode Island to Omaha. So I got to watch all three of the games with Vanderbilt, and was just uh, so pleased that I was there to see the boys celebrate in the field and get to see so many of our alumni there. We uh, they were drawing around twenty seven thousand fans every game that Mississippi State played out there, and I bet ninety nine ninety five percent were Mississippi State fans because they. They travel well, and yeah. I felt kind of bad for Vanderbilt. What a great program Tim Corbin has built there, but uh, they they don't travel like Mississippi State. So I think we had a little bit of a home field advantage in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, I, I've been to a few Mississippi State games in Omaha at the College World Series, and it's like, you know, an old-time family reunion. I mean, it's the, the following that Mississippi State gets in Omaha is absolutely amazing. Now, it's kind of interesting. I watched from – from here this year, I think you got more airtime on TV than, than the head coach. 
you're still. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize it was going to happen. They told me the final game. That I was up in the president's suite, our president's suite, Mark Keenum, and they asked me to to sit in the suite. And I said, "Fine, I'll be happy to do it." It's that way. I get out of the, the crowd because you know so many Mississippi State people. It's hard for me to watch a ball game. And uh, but I didn't realize I was going to be on TV. And uh, all of a sudden, my phone started ringing pretty heavily, and I knew something was going something was going on, but I had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah, it was funny. My, we're sitting there watching the game, and my wife said, "There he is again! There he is again!" <laughs> you were on quite a well, bit. Well, the, the well, the announcers. I know them all. You know, yeah. I mean, they they know they know me, and they they knew where I was sitting, and so we we were dominating the final ball game against Vanderbilt. I think it was around seven to eight to nothing. So they felt like we were going to win, and they just thought it'd be a good time for for some dead air time to to put my <laughs> picture on the TV. You're still a big deal around Starkville and around the university. Uh, how does that make you feel? Because it's been a number of years since you since you were coaching actively at Mississippi State, and you're still a big deal. How does that feel? Well, it feels good. That's why I came back. This is my home. I never gave up my house uh, in Starkville. When I went to UAB, I drove back once a week every Sunday after a game or practice a two-hour and 25, 30-minute drive. Every Sunday night, I drive back to Starkville because I had my yeah. all my, my banking here and, and my home here, so I spent uh, that uh, time. So I probably drove from Birmingham to Starkville to back each Monday after that, and so I was probably on the road uh, for um, over eight or 900 times. So I know the, I know all the roads from Starkville to Birmingham, <laughs> let me tell you that. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I, I mentioned in the introduction that you and I first met back in the fall of 1995. And, and you, you and I talked about this story recently. And I'm going to just, I, I normally don't do a lot of storytelling on these podcasts, but this one was so much fun. I'm going to share with it. I was in Starkville in September of 95. And it, I was there on the day that Cal Ripken set the record for consecutive games played. And, and, you know, every day at lunchtime, the athletic dining dining room was filled with staff and players and, you know, various sports and whatever. But that evening, there weren't a whole lot of people there. And I was bummed because I was staying in the dorm. The athletic department put me up in one of the dorms and I didn't have t- I didn't have a TV and I didn't have cable. And I was going to miss that game. And I was really bummed. This was I guess there weren't any sports bars in Starkville at the time. And so I was sitting there and I, I probably had a, uh, a, uh, you know, a down look on my face and you came in and talked to a couple of players and, and saw me and you came over and sat down and you asked why I was down. And I told you, and you said, well, why don't you come out to the, to duty noble field? He said, I'm, ha-, you said, I'm, we're having open tryouts and you, you have your glove with you, don't you? And I said, of course. <laughs> and he said, you can shag to fly balls in the outfield. Now you had a rule that, you know, I, I couldn't take batting practice. I couldn't try and run the bases. That was for the kids that were trying out, but I wasn't going to hurt anything by being out in the outfield. Uh, at the time, I had a goatee, and and you had the rule against facial hair. Uh, besides the fact that I was in my late 30s, I stood out with the fact that I had the goatee. And so I'm out there shagging flies and holding my own, and this one really nice young man came over. A lot of guys were looking at me, trying to figure out who I was. This one young man had the courage to come over and say, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? We chatted for a while and each of us occasionally would go chase down a fly ball. And, and 
you know, he said he was trying out. He played high school ball. He was really wanting to always wanted to go to Mississippi State. He always wanted to play for the Bulldogs. And and so we talked for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I went the went to your office the next day. And of course, my name was not on the on the list of, of guys that made the roster about three or four weeks hmm. later. I called you on the phone and I asked about that kid. And I asked if you made the team and, and you said, no, he just wasn't quite big enough. He wasn't quite fast enough. Didn't ha- quite have the skills, but it, you know, he is, he's decided he's going to be a team manager. And I said, that's great. Cause he was an, he was such a nice kid. I'm glad he got to be a part of the team. And you said, well, there's a lot of nice kids who don't make the team. And that was, that's what makes it so hard to be a coach because you have to cut kids that are, talented but just not quite talented enough and we you know I don't remember exactly what was said and then you then you said of course you were easy you had no talent (laughs) (laughs) well I think age got to you too yeah 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 we are we we always encourage walk-ons we've had several walk-ons and became all Americans but but uh yeah we haven't had a very extensive uh Trial out, trial basis. I always brought the walk-ons out with the uh, regular players so they could see what they're up against. And of course, many of them didn't make it. And I always brought them into the office and, and talked to them about the future. And sometimes yeah. uh, we'd help them go to a junior college or a smaller school. But you know, we appreciate them uh, being bulldogs, and we wanted them to know that we cared about them enough that we're going to make sure we help them if they want to extend their college baseball playing career. But uh, it's not tough. It's not easy in the SEC. It's a the premier league and just about all sports now, but in baseball, it's not easy to be a walk-on and make a ball club, but I wanted them to know that we cared enough about them that we'll give them every opportunity, including for yourself to, to showcase your skills. And, <laughs> and then, uh, unfortunately we have to make some tough decisions and, and this is a part of, part of coaching. Well, I, I remember the thing that sticks out to me about that coach is, uh, not only, you know, how painful the truth is sometimes, but the fact you pulled no punches, you know, when I was in Starkville there and, and, you know, and I was, I'd come into your office on a regular basis and we'd talk about former players and stuff. I mean, even though I was not part of your program, you told me where my, where my skill set ended. <laughs> you pulled no punches in anything that you did. You were always very forthright and, and, and fed the truth. How did that help you in your career? Well, I think honesty is huge, and uh, unfortunately, we're we're losing a little bit of that in, in this day and age. But at the same time, I just felt like, uh, you know, honesty is the best. And uh, sometimes the kids may not want to hear what I'm having to say, but they trust me and my my judgment and my values. But uh, that's what I did. That's how I built my career. Surrounded myself with. Uh, People, like-minded uh, people, uh, assistant coaches. In fact, it's uh, one of the great stories. Is uh, uh, five of my former, four of my former coaches, including myself, have become presidents of the American Baseball Coaches Association. All started out as graduate assistants in their career, and so basically, I'm pretty good at picking a talent in, in regard to coaches and surround myself with good managers and trainers and make sure these kids know that. Uh, the people that you're going to be working with as a baseball player are going to be ones that care about you, not so much how many wins you provide us, but that, you know, we're, we're proud of you being in Mississippi State or Georgia or Georgia Southern, anywhere I've ever coached, and make sure they realize that this is a special special time in their lives and we don't want to 
be in a position not to be able to help them any way we possibly can. So, you know, I think honesty is important in recruiting and how you handle your kids and how you handle, you know, your affairs. And I'm not the most honest person in the world, but at the same time, I think I've done a pretty good job of, of directing kids in the right direction and just surrounding them with good quality people. And uh, like just like the facial hair, that was the policy we had, shine your shoes before ball games and, you know, some guys would probably say, well, I'm not interested in doing that every day, but they want to be part of the program. And we want them to know that, you know, we want you to look like all American kids, both on and off the field and be a good student in school and be a good role model and be a good son, be a good brother and be the type of person that you want to be and your family wants you to become. And so, you know, part of coaching is winning games and uh, and doing other things you have to do. It's a busy time of your life when you're a head baseball coach at an SEC school. But the same token, I think there was other factors that I felt were more important than winning games. Yeah, and and I will say you were a very good judge of baseball talent because I didn't have any talent. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was pretty. I, I, mean, I could I could shag fly balls, but that was about the extent of it. But uh, yeah, I think I probably should have let you hit a little bit to see how bad you were. <laughs> no, you definitely should not have it. You lost. <laughs> you would have lost control of the thing because the guys would have been laughing all over the field. But um, I had, I had so much fun. Uh, I, you know, I look back now at highlights of Ripken's game and stuff. And I like, yeah, that was cool. But I got to play on duty noble field. So that was one of the, one of the highlights of my, um, my athletic career. And I, I using air quotes uh, when I say athletic career, because I didn't have much of one, but uh, that was, that was definitely a highlight. And I still appreciate the fact of you letting well, me out. On well, that, yeah, that's that stadium that you tried out, and it was a beautiful stadium. I think any college baseball coach in America would be uh, happy to to have that stadium as their their home field. But uh, that was un- taken down, and now we we've got a a seventy million dollar stadium that is uh, the best in college baseball, and completely sold out right now for the season. Yeah. Now, w- when did Duty Noble come down? As we, uh, well, I was at uh, UAB, uh, say it's about three, three and a half years ago. And, uh, okay. you know, it, uh, it was, it was time because of the fact that the crowds kept getting bigger and bigger. You know, we got like a 21 station radio network and all our games are on TV. I mean, it's a big deal in, yeah. in Mississippi. And, uh, so they felt John Cohen, the athletic director who played for me at Mississippi State felt like this is the time to, uh, to expand and do it right. And, uh, I mean, we even have 12 loss out in left center field. This looks like apartment complexes that fans can buy and, and enjoy watching college baseball and also use it for basketball and football games. But we got three eating establishments in this stadium and underneath uh, where the boys uh, spend most of their time. Uh, the big leagues who come back will take a tour and say, there's nothing like it in American National League. It's, it's so much better than anything that they've ever seen. And so we're, we're, we're kind of on the cutting edge right now of what, what you have to do to, to put a program together. And Chris Lamonis, our uh, coach, has been here three years and done a great job with a good staff. And so I yeah. think it's going to continue on. But uh, we, ju- we just needed something bigger and better. And we even got plans in the future to add even some more loss out in left center field, 12 more. So, you know, it just keeps rolling on. And I'm just glad that I'm here in the athletic department, being a part of this uh, special athletic department, great university. And and uh, I'm just doing my, my best to help them any way I can. It, it's interesting. I, I, I thought Duty Noble was 
one of the best, if not the best college facility, you know, when certainly when I was down there, uh, but you know, you got to keep up with the Joneses, I guess. And uh, it, I mean, I thought it was the best atmosphere I've ever been at in a college for a college baseball stadium. Cause even, even back then it, it held like 15, 16,000, which was bigger than a lot of minor league ballparks across America. Is the atmosphere as good in the new stadium as it was at Duty Noble? I mean, you don't, obviously you can't have a left field lounge uh, like you used to where people would park their RVs out there and grill and stuff like that. But uh, is the atmosphere just as good in the new facility? Yeah, the outfield lounge has been cleaned up. They have their own spots and place to put their barbecue and student section out there. But uh, the atmosphere continues. I mean, for a Southeastern Conference weekend, and we've hosted so many regionals here and super regionals. You, yeah. I mean, ticket scalping is going on. And, uh, I mean, it's just a tough ticket to get. And But every seat is sold and, and every every. Uh, sweet as sold. We got a waiting list right now for people who want to go into the outfield, which used to be called the left field lounge, but now it's it goes from foul pole to foul pole, and three three levels are actually four levels deep. So, uh, if anybody ever comes to Mississippi State for a ball game, they're going to come away and say they've never seen the enthusiasm for college baseball as much as it is Mississippi State. It's just something that built from the time I got there in 76 when we had a really bad stadium, and then we finally built the first Duty Noble Stadium, and then they put my name on it, and then we, we kept uh, adding to that a little bit, and then finally they decided while I was over in Birmingham that we just need to we need to go even bigger and better. But uh, all across the SEC, new stadiums are going up, and there's a facility war in the SEC uh, in baseball and other sports too to, to see if you can top the, the other schools around the Southeastern Conference because uh, it's important for recruiting and crowd crowd atmosphere, et cetera. So we're we're not the only new stadium, but we think we're the best. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll try and get down to Starkville again. I loved my time down yeah. there. When when uh, the the next summer I went to I covered basketball at the Olympics and took my family with me and we drove from Kansas city to Starkville the first day because I wanted, I wanted my wife and kids who were uh, late grade school at the time to see, to see what it was like. And I felt like I was going back to my alma mater. It was so mm-hmm. home and I felt so welcome there. And I was just, we were just there for a day and people recognized me and came up and, and said they loved the book and, it was just such a great atmosphere in the community, not just at the game, but in the community. So I'll have, I definitely want to come back to Starkville again, and uh, I'll definitely want to tour the new facility. Before we wrap up with some more personal stuff, Coach, I just want to talk about college baseball. When when I was there in, in 95, you're, and you've mentioned it already, that your cause was to get more scholarships. If I remember correctly, college baseball had the fewest scholarships available per roster spot of any major still do, yeah, still, still do still do still do, do. yeah why do you think yeah. that is well that's a, that's another show i mean it's unbelievable <laughs> um it's <laughs> just the amount of work and effort i had to put in with with the help of others to, to see if we can not only that but we had again seven sanctions no other sport has and but see around the country college baseball you know unfortunately up in the northeast and the midwest where it's so tough with with weather you right. know they can't draw the crowds they can't make 
you know, sell season tickets like we can in, in the Southeast and Southwest and out in the West Coast. That, you know, we get voted down all the time by the college presidents and athletic directors when we ask, uh, uh, you know, they took graduate assistants away from from us many years ago, and we used to have two and sometimes three graduate assistants, entry-level position for the young coach who can get a master's or doctor degree while still being involved in, 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 in baseball, but they took that away and then gave it to women's crew and then uh, gave six to football. So I was just fighting a, a, a losing battle, but I felt like somebody had to stand up and, and just fight for these kids and their programs. But yeah, we were still at the same level of scholarships and uh, women's softball, which is a great sport. And I go out and visit our softball team all the time. And, and but they have more scholarships than baseball, and and we're the second largest revenue producer for the NCAA championships behind men's basketball. And when I say that, people think football has got to be the top revenue producer for the NCAA, but they don't get a NCAA doesn't get a dime from it goes right. to the conferences, the bowls, the individual schools that participate. But we're number two, uh, men's basketball only because, well, they got bigger venues and bigger TV package. But but uh, college baseball is number two, but we're dead last in everything. Coaches per student athlete, scholarships per student athlete. The only one that has roster restrictions. I can go on and on uh, how the NCAA has basically uh, turn their back on our kids and coaches and programs and uh, because of the fact that we just can't get the votes. You know, it, I, I don't want you to throw anybody under the bus. Maybe you want to, <laughs> but um, why Why is baseball, I don't want to say picked on, but why Why has it been such a difficult battle? Uh, I mean, these, these presidents have to recognize that baseball is a revenue-producing sport, in a lot of places, especially in the South, but in, in a lot of a lot of schools, even in the Midwest and the North. Well, yeah, if we if we increase our scholarships or we get graduate assistance, well, other schools around the country where baseball is not making any money or it's not much interest, again, the cold weather uh, environments that uh, they they will they will lose ground. And it would become a super conference of super leagues in the Southeast and, and Pac-12 and the Big 12. And I mean, I could understand the ACC has really come on in baseball, but uh, basically it's almost to the point where we we need our own division. You know, the ones that can do things in baseball yeah. and the ones who can't, but they, they're not doing that in and in any detail right now, there's no plans ahead for that to happen. But we want to, I think there's 317 Division One schools, and there's probably only 40, 45 that, not of all those 40, 45 make money in baseball, but they're at least making their budget. And right. uh, the other, other schools have no chance of doing that. So if we had, if we had scholarships in baseball, there'd be other schools individual one that can't uh, match that and they'll get further and further behind. So I, I understand the rationale, but I just hate for the NCAA to thwart, thwart those people that are doing what you want to do in a sport and, and not allow, enabling them to reward their student athletes with the scholarships like in women's crew getting 20. And I mean, we just, and again, we're not, I'd never battle title nine because girls needed title nine. Right, right. They're now, now, I mean, I, I never, Blasted Title Nine, but at the same time, uh, the NCAA are run by presidents, and they they're very intelligent people. But most of them have never played sports, so to try to sit down and deal with them at, on any any type of level where their 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 knowledge of other things is so much larger than mine. When I'm talking about baseball, it's just it's it's just not, it's a non-issue with them. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting though, coach, the, the haves and have, have nots theory. If, if they applied that to, to every other sport, I would understand. I mean, the theory makes sense, but uh, they're not doing that in football. You know, there are some schools, you know, the, the Ohio States and the Alabamas and the Clemsons and, and schools like that are getting the top level athletes because there's more opportunity with this new um, uh, name, image, and likeness deal. Athletes are going to go to these, you know, bigger schools, more popular, uh, you know, bigger following because they can get more money. The, that theory. Well, football yeah, football is a fall sport, so weather is not a factor. All the indoor sports, volleyball and basketball yeah. and ice hockey, uh, so the weather is the biggest issue we face in, in, in baseball because of the fact that, uh, you know, baseball is the type of game where you like to play in comfortable weather, but yeah. uh, there's only so many schools that get that luxury, and that's one of the reasons why we moved the starting uh, date of the, the season back. Omaha used to be in end of May, 1st of June. We've moved that back into July now to allow the northern schools more of an opportunity to play in yeah. better weather. So hopefully that it would improve their ability to generate some funds. And I hate to keep using funds, but, you know, that's what the NCAA and the college presidents and athletic directors look at. And uh, it's just not going to happen in some places because of the weather. And then they have the northern schools have to go south to play early in the season because yeah. they just can't play in their elements up there. And, and because of that, they end up with a losing record to start the season. Their RPIs go down. And it's just uh, baseball is uh, unique because we're – and softball is the same token because they're a weather-related sport. Uh, and uh, and uh, so my next life, I'd like to be maybe a college basketball coach where you don't have to worry about weather and don't have to worry about rain or sleet or snow or muddy muddy infield dirt or just – Every practice you have is inside, and you can plan for it. In Mississippi State, we're in that kind of tier geographically. I used to have to make two practice schedules for the most part because we might be able to get outside that day, or we might have to stay inside. So, uh, yeah, my next life, I want to be a college basketball coach. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm not going to keep harping on that because obviously you and I are on the same side of that. I just I it just the theory makes sense. The application uh, does not. I always like to no. wrap up my podcast with uh, a couple of opportunities for my guests. First, talk about your family. Well, I grew up in Phoenix. Uh, my brother's still out there. I still have a home out there that I rent to my brother. So uh, basically, uh, my family is getting old. I'm 77 right now, but I still have some family members that I stay in touch with closely. But uh, for the most part, uh, you know, it's just... Uh, uh, Mom and dad passed away, and my two brothers are up in years now, but uh, love them to death and visit with them at Christmas time. And uh, But Phoenix is where I grew up, but I've been in the Southeast now for most of my coaching career. No, no kids? No, no. Okay. All right. The last question I always like to to uh, wrap up with, uh, and I get all kinds of answers. My all-time favorite is from uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Bobby Bell, when I asked him, what's your legacy? He said, I want to live my life so the preacher don't have to lie at my funeral. <laughs> so yeah, what, good what did, coach, what is your legacy? <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, college baseball coach, uh, my book is a leading textbook in college baseball and former president again of the baseball coaches. And, 
And uh, I just think uh, hopefully someone says, hey, he did it the right way. You know what I mean? He did it the right way. We didn't cheat. We didn't lie. We didn't deceive. We were honest with, with the kids and their families, et cetera. And, and I felt like it's important, the coaches that I hired, that you deal with the kids like you deal with your son. If you want your son to be uh, at your school, you want, uh, you want to treat every boy like you would treat your son and have him treated like you would want your son to be treated. And so if there's any legacy, maybe – Maybe one somebody would say, upon my passing, he did it the right way. Even if you have to tell a, a 38-year-old uh, journalist that he had no talent, right? <laughs> that, that was the easiest decision I've ever made in my life. <laughs> well, Coach, I appreciate your time. Glad we were finally able to connect. And yeah. look, forward to, look forward to seeing you on TV in Omaha next year. And maybe, maybe yeah. if the Bulldogs make it back, I'll, I'll make a trip up there and I'll, I'll sit with you. Look forward to it. Take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.